Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the no fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, I will challenge my guest to talk about her four months experience in her new job and how exactly did she perform, what she learned from it, the mistakes she made, and how she applied her beliefs to this job. Because as you'll know, as you'll see, she has some beliefs that are very much in line with mine. And if you're listening to this podcast with yours, uh, my guest today is an experienced marketing leader with 10 plus years experience in various tech companies. Uh, and just like me, just like you, she hates traditional short-term tactics and she prefers long-term brand building activities. She used to be the VP of Marketing for Litmus, the CMO of Help Scout. She's now the head of marketing for Wildbeat. Uh, they are creators of a few stuff, including Postmark. You might have heard of it. Justin Jordan, very happy to have you. Thank you for having me and what a lively intro. Thank you. <laughs> So they do. I'm not even paid to do it. So can you believe uh, if I was paid? Um, so we're never paid to do this, right? <laughs> no, it's paid in exposure. You know that's what happens. Um, so as we just we were talking a few minutes ago before hitting recording, and I told you that I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about because I want to keep the surprise. Not the surprise, but the actual genuine conversation intact without you preparing questions in advance. Now you've just heard in the intro what I wanted to talk to you about. So you started this new job as a head of marketing for Wildbeat four months ago, roughly. Yes. Now, obviously, there might be things you can't share. I'm, a, I'm aware of that. That's all good. But I think we have a massive opportunity together to do some sort of a retrospective of those four months, what you've done, and how you're perhaps starting to create this aspirational brand that you thrive, you know, to create that you like mm -hmm. to do like this aspirational brand, the customer first mindset. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm, I'm very curious of that is because to be honest, customer first is a very much of a bullshitty, you know, term mm -hmm. that everyone can throw around. So what I'm be very interested in hearing from you is how do you actually do it and how not only how you're planning to do it, but more importantly, in the last four months, how did you start to do it? Sounds good. It does sound good. And um, actually, I'm pretty excited to talk about that. I don't think you're going to catch me off guard or there won't be too much I can't tell you. So it should be mm. fun. Okay. So let's maybe start from maybe day zero. Uh, you might argue that you started to, you know, even before you, you started to officially work with them, you did stuff before you might, might have talked to the CEO and whatnot. So let's try to take a step back all the way to the, to the beginning. How did you get started with them to try to build this brand that you want to build with them? Yeah, I've actually known um, Natalie and Chris, who are the founders of Wildbit for, gosh, probably a decade, the better part of a decade. Uh, so they were friends with the Litmus founders. And every year, most years, I think, there is a conference here in Boston called Business of Software. And the Wildbit founders and the Litmus founders and like the Wistia founders and I'll say like all this group of customer first founders, if you will, product first and customer first, we get together in Boston. And I uh, weaseled my way into a couple of those dinners over the years um, and got to meet the folks uh, at Wildbit. 
We were always postmark customers at Litmus. Um, really loved the product. Really, you know, good deliverability. I'm not just saying that because I work here. <laughs> I used to be a customer, so I've known them or no, and known of them and seen the way that they operate their business and the way that they treat their people, the way that they build product for a very long time. And so it was probably um, a solid, oh six or eight months before um, Natalie and I started talking seriously about joining the team that she'd reached out to me for advice on hiring her first uh, like head of marketing. <laughs> um, and I remember her telling me uh, all about the role and I was thinking to myself, man, this sounds like a dream job, but I just wasn't ready to make a change at that point in time. And super fortunate that a, a few uh, you know months later, uh, it was time for her to pull the trigger and time for me to make that kind of decision as well. So um, yeah, I've... I've known of her, known of them, um, and seen the way that they run their business for a very long time now. And I'm, I, I'm, I think you're going to guess from the question I'm going to ask uh, what answer I'm expecting. But it sounds like this is a good advice for anyone out there to genuinely build relationship with people for years and years and years and, and plant the seeds uh, before uh, getting a job like yours. I know you can't see me, but I'm vigorously nodding my head yes, um, because I have, uh, I'll tell you a secret, right? I have never, at least not since I got hired at Exact Target back in 2007, that's that's my latest resume is from 2007 when I updated it to apply for that job at Exact Target. Every job I've had since then has been uh, a direct result of building relationships and um, kind of being in the right place at the right time and nurturing those relationships. And um, I'm sure this will come out over the course of this conversation, but um, I I very much believe in that, like everything you do is like a human, but especially as a marketer has to have some like give and take that I, I had this concept of like a, a trust bank that I borrowed from actually Brendan Schwartz. He's one of the founders over at Wistia. Um, and I think he borrowed it from someone that wrote a famous book and I can't remember what it is right now, but every one of us has a trust bank and you have to put more credits in the, in the trust bank than you take debits out. And the way that you do that is by helping other people and building those relationships. So that goes for business and, and personal for sure. Just, just like what you said about the famous person who wrote a book. I think it's, it, it's really kind of limits the spectrum of people we can think about right um but having said that be more serious about about your answer before we dive into the actions you took in the job and like the key things you've done maybe the mistakes you've you've made the things you would really recommend folks to do when it comes to genuine customer centricity and genuine results as well as a result of it what would be your number one advice then to to build a trust bank. Like I know we're talking about building a relationship and being the right place at the right time. That all sounds good, but it seems a bit generic still. For mm. you, you didn't build, you haven't created a resume in the last you know, 13 years at this stage. You don't need to. What would be your number one advice for folks who want to become you one day, like to have the same level of success? What what would we what would it be? Give more than you take. I think And how? How do you do that? Well, um, so if I go back to my very early, well, before I, I answer that, I want to acknowledge that, especially with everything going on in the world right now, you know, this interview is being recorded in, in June of 2020 at the height of social unrest in, in the US. And um, it, it's a time where I've never been more aware of my privilege as a, as a white person living in America. 
Um, and so I say this with that privilege in mind. And a lot of what I did early in my career was um, was just help people. Uh, so you might be interested. A lot of folks will ask, like, well, how did you get to be like marketing hire number one and employee number eight at Litmus? And a lot of that came from a genuine desire to help people like me. Um, I felt very alone um, at Exact Target. Uh, our whole team, our whole company was building and designing emails and like fighting against Outlook rendering and solving some really obscure challenges. And I'm also dating myself, but this was before like Twitter was really big. This is before like content marketing and like blogs were a dime a dozen. I knew that there were other people like me out there because we had competitors and surely there were people like me working at our competitors. But no one was talking about these problems. No one was trying to come together to solve these challenges. And, you know, I never intended to become a thought leader or to build a brand. Like all those things in retrospect were like accidental byproducts of um, what I was trying to do. But I genuinely wanted to share what I was learning. I wanted to brainstorm with other people. I wanted to write about you know, all these challenging challenges we were facing. And so to invest that amount of time, better yet, if you can get paid for it into genuinely helping other people. I'm trying to think of how else I did this like early in my career. I was part of an organization because I started life as a designer before I was a marketer called AIGA. I don't know too much about them these days. I haven't kept up, but, you know, joining organizations where you can like network with other people, where you can um, mentor, even if you're really early in your career, there's someone earlier than you. Like if you're in college, mentor someone in middle school or high school. Um, there are so many ways that you can give back no matter what your experience level is. So someone else is about to do something that you've done before <laughs> um, and you can help them with that so yeah and I, and I very much like the an this answer and thanks for mentioning the everything that's going on right now whether it's right now or if you're listening to this episode in two years in 2022 uh racism will still be there and we need to actively fucking fight for it against it excuse me fight against racism yes. and be anti-racist actively and i'm hoping that with those interviews we can teach folks who who come yeah. from underrepresented minorities to to stand out and, and and do the right thing. So thanks for mentioning that. And I guess it's easy as a marketer, but I guess in any profession. But I know I know that as a marketer, it's easy to think that where you are is where other people's are at. You know, so like this massive imposter syndrome of thinking, oh, I have ten years of experience. So you kind of assume everyone has the same knowledge, and it's not the not the case, right? And and yeah, so um, Wildbit, I know we're going to talk about this too, but like Wildbit, for instance, we have a four-day work week, which is really uncommon in the US. We only work 32 hours a week. I have every Friday off. And I was, I was reflecting on like how I want to use that time. I created like a landing page of my personal website and I call them Pay Them Forward Fridays. Um, and people can request to do office hours with me and... Um, I've talked to a variety of people, people with about the same level of experience as me, people that are just in like college and they're not really sure like what they want to do as far as like a marketing career. And some of the most impactful conversations, if I'm being honest, have come from people that I would have considered peers. Because especially if you're um, a solo freelancer, if you're a contractor, if you're in a small company and you're the only marketing person... It reminds me of my days at Exact Target. It can feel so lonely. You can feel like you're the only person in the world facing those problems and that those problems are unique to you. Um, and if I've learned nothing over the last few years, it's that like every th everyone has faced something similar to you. You just need to find the person out there that's done it. Yeah. And people are afraid to talk about it, right? And 
just being able to connect with people and say, no, what you're feeling is normal. You are not alone. It can be such a powerful experience because imposter syndrome, that lack of confidence, all of those feelings can be so overwhelming and can really affect like your day-to-day performance and like your ability to do your job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I faced it multiple times in my career. And I think what saved me, me was talking to talking to people who felt the same and, 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 and then starting to switch the, the story in your head, realizing that focusing on first principles in marketing, so the things that will never change, helps me a lot. So understanding that people are will always be people, even though technology changes, their brain won't. And focusing on that first really helped me to like refocus my energy and uh, and all of that. Now, thanks for that great intro. We are we've been thirty minutes into this episode, thirteen minutes, uh, but we haven't delivered on what we promised yet, right? So tell me, <laughs> this is like a ten year story in the making, right? The reason why you're working there is because not because you applied uh, six months ago. No. So tell me, you joined the company or like, tell me about your first day or the first few days. Like, what are the key things you've decided to do straight away? The key thing that I have done and I would recommend that anyone do in the first even like 90 days of a new job is to listen, just to shut the fuck up and listen. Like, I, I will be the first to acknowledge that in so many cases, you are hired because you're an expert, that you're expected to influence things, to change things to some extent. But um, even now, like, you know, four months in, I am still learning um, every day about how the rest of this company does business, about how it's different from the last companies I've worked at, about the specific individuals, about the values of the company. And so um, I, I, I've been fortunate enough to start two new jobs in the last couple of years. And, and both times what I've done um, is I've worked with other people in the company to create a prioritized list of um, people I want to have uh, like informational chats with. Uh, I've always worked in remote companies. So um, I've always done this over, over Zoom, call them donuts or coworker coffees or fika. There's lots of terms for these, but I reach out in those first 90 days, kind of going along that list of uh, priority of people who I should talk to. And I ask them some questions like, uh, you know, uh, what are you excited about, about why I'm here? Why are you nervous about why I'm here? Um, For me as a marketer, I'm really interested about their opinions about what the company has done well with its marketing in the past, or what maybe it hasn't done so well. Like, what were they frustrated about? What are they looking forward to? And that can also give me uh, a really well-rounded sense of what the company needs from, especially in my case, marketing leadership, but also like, what are some of the ways that I can, uh, like change management is also something that I deal a lot with in in marketing leadership roles, especially coming into mature companies. Um, Like, how can I help people understand what I'm doing and why I'm here and feel really comfortable with it instead of, you know, everyone hates marketers, right? Especially in product-led, developer-led companies. I get called out all the time, right, for like the kind of bullshit that other marketing people do or called out for calling myself customer first because some people believe that marketers can never be customer first. Oh, um, yeah. You heard that before? So I have to, uh, just a time or two. <laughs> and so I kind of have to get ahead of that perception and, and again, like almost give more than I take initially. Um, give people my time, give people like, uh, you know, a, a platform to, so I can hear their concerns really before I do anything. So in concrete 
steps on concrete uh, like words. You actually schedule calls with almost everyone you could in the company, yeah? Yeah, and it's rare depending on the size of the company. You know, Wildbit is 30 people. My previous company was 100. Um, mm -hmm. And so you, you kind of have to prioritize. And um, I always go customer support, customer success, whatever you want to call it. Like people that are talking to customers are, are key. Um, if you're in a leadership position, talking to other folks in the leadership team is key especially a SaaS business or product business. I want to talk to people in like the product and, and the engineering side, designers, like other marketers. Again, depends on the way that your company's made up, but especially people that have worked on other marketing projects or worked with other marketing people. And that's why, you know, asking maybe the people that were on your hiring team, like, hey, can you help me prioritize who's going to have an interesting perspective on me and why I'm here <laughs> can be really helpful. So you have these calls and you just listen. Uh, can you re can you remind us of like the the few questions you you like to ask again? Yes, in fact. So I write all of this down. Let me um, pull Take up the ones that I I used most recently. So I ask people again. I work in remote companies, even when the world isn't burning down. Uh, I ask where you live. How long have you been with the company? Some basic stuff. I also ask what you do and I want to get beyond your title or your role in that. Like, I don't care that you're a designer because um, at a small company, people usually wear a lot of hats. And even if you're a designer, it might be that you do a whole bunch of other things. Like for instance, one of the designers at Wildbit does front end product development and also like writes all of our uh, business intelligence dashboard SQL queries, right? He's a very multi-talented person. So to know like what they work on on a day-to-day -day basis or what projects they've done in the last like say six to 12 months is really insightful. I also asked like, is someone new here? What should I know about Wildbit? That's really open-ended, but you get a lot of really interesting responses. Like, so it's, what should I know about this company? I've asked what's been great about marketing so far? What's been not so great about marketing so far that you've seen? And then thinking about the future of marketing at this new company, what do you hope to experience? And what do you fear? Great. Okay. So if you want to take note of that, you're going to have to pause the podcast and write them down because Justin is not going to uh, tell, um, say them again. Okay. And how do you, how do you then make sense of them? Like, uh, do you take notes? Do you transcribe them? Um, what did you do? Um, you can definitely record those conversations and have them transcribed. Over the years, I've developed an uncanny ability to listen and type like nearly transcribe in real time i don't know that everyone has that ability um no. so i take very very detailed notes okay. and i keep them all organized in evernote because i'm old school what do you mean like it's not as if you're using fucking postcard and pigeons or anything like that it's it's very much a software <laughs> anyway evernote, like notion, notion is what all the cool kids yeah, yeah notions that all the cool kids yeah. are using these days right, right. So. that's what you meant okay so you, you talk to those people but surely Let's be honest here. Okay, this company is customer first and whatever, but they're not hiring you just for the listening to, to people internally. They're hiring you to generate results, to, to have more customers, to, to raise the profile of the company and whatnot. So what else did you do Because in the meantime? I suppose you didn't just spend three months talking to people without doing anything. So apart from that, which is super valuable, by the way, thanks for sharing. What else did you do? What activities did you do that you feel are going to generate results uh, while being customer centric? Sure. So I was uh, incredibly fortunate that a lot of that work 
was done almost for me um, coming into the company because a good friend of mine uh, who is a marketing consultant happened to be doing a consulting engagement with Wildbit in the few months before I came on board. But I'm going to tell you what they did and just sort of pretend that I did it because it's the same thing that I think you should probably do, right? But I want to be full on and credit that I didn't actually do this myself. I, I was able to leverage a lot of the work that they had done. So they did a, a very deep audit of kind of past performance of the previous year. What had been working so far, uh, what channels were, were driving the most activity, um, just to sort of get a hold on where are the opportunities for this business. Um, Wildbit also is a little bit special in that we have multiple brands. Um, so Postmark is the most well-known. We also have um, Conveyor, which we just announced yesterday that we're sunsetting. We have a, an older product called Beanstalk. We also launched two new products very recently. So that's also a fun challenge as a, as a team of 30 and a very small marketing team is to support or create growth activities for all of those. So the majority of uh, that work uh, was prioritized around Postmark since it generates the most revenue for Wildbit. Um, and we have the most performance data. So after doing that deep dive, you know, using Google Analytics and, and revenue and financial data, we started to, and I should grab this framework, I can share it with you, we can maybe do a, a, a resource uh, later on, which is to kind of ask yourself, where are the different areas of the business that growth could come from? Um, and again, my friend, her, her name is uh, Agatha Selmarowski, has a really great framework for this. And she asks questions like, how can we get you know, more people talking about our brand? How can we get more people coming to us? Um, how can we get the same customers that we already have to buy more? Right? There's, there's kind of a predictable set of levers that you have to grow a company. And understanding... Yeah, so there is Sorry to cut you, but I want to say, make sure yeah. we're on the same page. So they are uh, acquiring more customers, making customer pay more, or reducing churn. Yeah, but there's also things like getting people to talk about your business more, like almost intentionally. It is, but it's slightly different because you can get more customers through buying ads. But do people trust ads or do people trust people? I don't know. You tell me. I think they trust people, <laughs> but that was probably a predictable answer coming from you and me in this podcast, right? <laughs> and, and so, like, yeah, you because the other thing is that Wildbit is a bootstrapped, self-funded company. We don't have you know a bunch of VC money in the bank. We have a healthy budget. We're profitable. Um, we have a healthy business, but I don't have thousands, millions of dollars to go spend on top of funnel acquisition. So we have to get creative about how we do that. Um, so and we already before we talk about this, I yeah. want to go back to something, right? Because your yeah. work got cut out for you, as you mentioned, like and a full audit has been done prior to you joining. We're not going to go through it because you haven't done it yourself. And I don't think it's fair to ask for me to ask you how you did it since you didn't. And we haven't really talked about that in detail in this podcast, but I remember uh, an episode with Edward Novremont, for example, where we talk about how to analyze channels. We also talked about it with Guillaume Caban, a fellow Frenchman, mm. same topic. So if, you, if you're listening to this episode right now and you want to know more about this particular topic and how to do an audit, go there. Now, going back to what you said, let's talk then about this particular lever, which is making more people talk about the brand, make more people discover it. And you were about, I think, to talk about it. So 
let's deep dive into that. Like, how do you translate more people talking about the brand and knowing the brand to the end result to have more customers? And and but how do you put it off in the first place to make people more aware of what you do? So what did you do, or what are you doing? Yes. So this is something that makes a lot of modern performance marketers deeply uncomfortable. Yes. And, you know, I, I've held the title of CMO once in my life, and you've probably read your fair share of articles about how, uh, you know, the average tenure of a CMO is something abysmal, like 18, 12 or 18 months, right? Because so many times, especially in modern digital organizations, you know, marketers are bearing more and more responsibility for revenue growth. And with that comes this expectation that you, A, have figured out attribution <laughs> and B, can measure everything. But I'll go back to some other famous person that I don't remember. What's that old adage about how you could only measure like 50% of all of your marketing? I forget what famous marketer said that. And so that's, I, I, I definitely lean much more toward, I'll say, the brand side of marketing. And the the MBA, the revenue side, is something that I've had to learn um, over the course of my career. It does not come naturally to me, but I definitely have developed a deep appreciation and respect for it because it can help me get buy-in for those other ideas. And so I'm just saying all of that as an affront because this question comes up a lot. Well, it's like all the things I'm going to tell you about, people ask, well, how do you measure that? How do you know it's working? And what's deeply uncomfortable for a lot of people is that like, sometimes you don't know, especially not right away. But over time, if you're patient, you'll see it come with direct visits. You'll just see more money coming in and you won't be able to explain where it comes from. <laughs> and that's super frustrating. And it also isn't a good fit for every business because in this growth at all costs mentality that so many companies are, are operating in now, that patience to grow a sustainable brand just isn't there. Fuck yeah. Um, there's so many things you say that I say a lot. I mean, not in those beautiful <laughs> terms because I can't speak that much uh, in English, but the, the P word is the bad word. Performance? Is the, no, the patience. It, it's it's a, oh. It's a bold word for marketers and CEOs of, of fucking unicorns company. Um, and I completely get you. It's very difficult for performance marketers who, by the way, performance, what does it mean? Non-performance? Like uh, when you do, don't do performance, you, you, what do you do? Like non-performance makes zero sense, this term. It's not against you, by the way. I, I, just, I know it's being used. But anyway, folks who do direct response, like expect, they do something, they expect a sale, they expect a lead, they expect something, right? They yes. are very uncomfortable with this idea of, Let's invest in content, in brand. Let's make people talk more about us. And then in three, six, nine months, as you said, there will be a combination of channels like direct, organic traffic that will grow up. And it's actually proven. Like There are studies, and I'll try to put that in the resources if, I'm think, if I think about it. Uh, there are studies show, showing that the right investment between brand and performance is 60-40, 60% brand, 40% performance, but that the result don't come straight away. But they then combine and get super interesting. So the P word, the patience, is something that we need to teach more folks to to thrive. But basically, you join a company who understand that first of all, right? That's kind of step zero. 
uh, which you're in a good position. Let's talk about then how you're going to do this. How are you going to get more people to come to you and build this brand? What's your plan? Yes. So it starts with the people. And so all of that bullshit about being, you know, customer first, uh, it actually starts with the people inside of the company because I saw you had Seth Godin on recently and he was talking about brand and that's what brand is, right? It's not a logo. It's not your website. It's not your, you know, slogan or your tagline or any of that like superficial bullshit. You know, your brand is, is the people and it's the perception that other people have of your company. And that perception is made off of a collection of experiences that people have with your company or with your brand. And chances are they're going to have more experiences with, again, the people. And so what you need to do is invest into those people, which is why I go around and I interview everyone at the company or as many people as I can, because chances are they have a unique perspective. They have something that needs to be shared with the world. They have they make up an important part of that brand for the company, and likely no one's heard about it beyond the walls of that organization. And so slowly, and this is what we're starting to sort of churn the wheel on on Wildbit. There's lots of different ways you can do this, and it's going to depend on you know your company. It's going to depend on um, your audience, right? Who you're trying to reach. I've worked in a lot of companies where I've been fortunate enough that those people are online. Twitter is a good place to reach them, like Slack communities and other types of online, like venues are a good place to reach them. Even like LinkedIn, um, like Indie Hackers, like has a wonderful community of like early stage product people, right? And you can find that thing through looking like referral sources in your Google Analytics. You can do surveys. There's lots of ways you can find those places. And this is where the patience comes in again. You have to kind of do that research. You have to do that hard work to find out where the people are. And then again, you kind of have to just shut up and listen. The mistake that a lot of people make is, especially as marketers, is barging into those communities with their own agenda. Um, And you've seen them, right, in the communities that you're in. They join and the only time they ever contribute is to push their product or to sell you or to like jump down your throat with an opinion about something but they don't meaningfully engage. They don't contribute. They don't ask questions if they're new. With few exceptions, you know, communities aren't often made up of just assholes that are going to like kick you out for asking like basic questions, especially if you demonstrate that you're really there to learn. So that's part of it, right? You got to find out where the people are. That's why the interviews are important. That's why you can use data these days. There's a lot more of it available um, to find out where the people are. And again, contributing, listening, giving more than you take. I'm going to keep coming back to that. And so that's kind of step one. Then there's all the marketing, the traditional marketing tactics that come with that. Once you've listened, once you've learned, once you kind of understand um, your position, where you fit in that ecosystem and the value that you can bring to the conversation, then you start talking about it. But again, you talk about it in a way that puts the reader in the position where they're getting more value than you are. A couple of years ago, I gave a talk at MozCon where I had a Venn diagram. And on one half, the circle said, uh, I was talking about email marketing. And one side is what the subscriber needed. The other circle was what your business needs. And when they overlapped in the middle, I had magic. Because when you're able to figure out 
that little tiny slice about what your customers or what your audience or what your subscribers care about and the value that your off that your business can bring to them that's where all the magic happens because everyone's getting value that's where that brand bank is like you know you're really building up the credit cuz the way that i think about it is that you have to really invest in building up those credits you have to have the patience to build up those credits before you can go back to that audience and then ask for something you need to have enough credit in the bank before you make a withdrawal right <laughs> Yeah, and I very much like that uh, that view. So step step one of that is seems like you find out where your people are hanging out first and foremost. So your best customers potentially, right? So you want to look at from analytics, the referrer, okay, India hackers, a lot of people come from there and whatnot. Uh, from survey, so you would actually ask them where do you spend your time online, or do you ask other questions? Okay, exactly. Where do you spend your time online? What podcast do you listen to? Yes. And they all say everyone has marketers. And then you move on and say, I need to be a guest on this show. Um, <laughs> and one other way I do it is I, I, when I talk to people directly, I genuinely ask them. But instead of asking them, what I found interesting is people are very bad at predicting the future or they're very good at making themselves look good. What I try to ask them is instead of what publication do you read or blog or whatever, I ask them in the last two months, what is what you can remember? What articles did you read? Where did you spend your time? Mm. What did you do? You know? To make them force them to stop the bullshit of oh I read all the noise articles when in fact they just spend their time on Instagram, so you need to be careful <laughs> though, right? So you need to use the numbers from analytics, the actual behavior with the answers, and try to find uh, an in between. I would say that would be my personal advice. Okay, so once you understand where they spend their time, you it seems like there is a step where you try to figure out how you can. I'm, I'm, the V word is, is is a word I don't like to use too much as well. The value side, because everyone's talking about it and they they don't know how to explain it. But I'm sure you'll you'll manage. Try to find ways to add value to the conversation. And as you said about this this bank, it's like trying giving before you taking anything. So how do you approach it in this role? Like, and maybe you can give me one or two examples of an actual way to give value to give before you take. For sure. So that could be like, what are, what are people in your company and expert on that your audience cares about? One good example is, uh, so here at Wildbit, we have Postmark. We also have one of our brand new things that just launched called Debark Digests. And we have a ton of people here that deeply understand email authentication, SPF, DKIM, DMARC, all the things that go along with that. And well, how can we help people? It's complicated. It's technical. It's wrought with like mystery. <laughs> so how can we write about how to help that? Can we create a webinar? Can we create a product? And yeah, at the end of the day, our intent is to get you to buy DMARC Digest. It's a product that you can pay for. But we don't go out saying, hey, we built this thing. Please buy it. That's not adding any value, right? We don't even write, I mean, we do write value messaging, of course, right? We have like value propositions and taglines and all the things that go along with doing a marketing launch. But even that is like predictable. So I guess the better question is to say like, how can you take your expertise? Ostensibly, you have it if you built a thing that you're now trying to sell. I really hope you're an expert at whatever you're trying to sell. So to say like, how can I, you know, help people like, 
either understand this? Can I give them something for free? Whether that's knowledge that could be a freemium product, help, support, consulting calls, like the possibilities are endless. So to use a tangible example for, for us, Postmark has been writing about DMARC for years. So we repurposed some of that content. We updated it. We've been sharing that. We're, we're going to refresh some of that. We've also been doing, uh, and this ties into all the brands too, um, part of that analysis that we did uh, really gave us some insight into how we could improve our SEO because we do have an old site that has a lot of really great content on it. Um, it just wasn't really well optimized for, um, you know, because there's kind of two parts of SEO. There's the human part and the machine part. So you got to optimize for both of them. And so there's, there's lots of ways that you can, I guess, give or add value. And we're both using air quotes and you can't see that, but it is sort of a, an overused term at this point. But that really just boils down to you, like, be helpful. <laughs> How can you be helpful? and give something away for free. And when I say give something away for free, like it doesn't just mean an offer, an ebook, the type the typical like marketing crap you've probably like come to expect. You can be more creative than that. So by playing with the format, playing with the depth of what you're giving by how else can you be more creative than an ebook? Well, I mean, you can just, again, like get on Twitter, get where your audience is. Like, so let's say your audience is on Indie Hackers and you've learned that, I don't know, early stage scrappy founder folks have a really hard time establishing, in our case, like DMARC and email authentication for the first time. So maybe you call up like Cortland who owns Indie Hackers, you start to build that relationship and you say, hey, like, I really understand that a lot of people in your community struggle with this. Um, I want to give them a free webinar and teach them about how to set up DMARC for their new businesses. And you don't ever mention, maybe at the very end of your webinar or your presentation, you mentioned, hey, I have a product for this. But the intent that you come at that with is, I found an audience and I have a way to genuinely help them. Part of, uh, on my site, I'm offering a free course, like a seven-day email course on how to become a more confident marketer. And lesson three, the actual subject line, so there's seven, seven concepts. Uh, lesson three is actually giving, giving, giving versus taking, 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 right? And uh, it's funny that you said very much the exact same thing, even, with, <laughs> even though we never talked before. And I very much agree with that. And I think the key here is when in doubt, give stuff like solve problems, talk to people, fucking be generous, right? And that's yes. helped me a lot. Usually when I struggle to 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 have to 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 make people give a shit and sign up to whatever or 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 pay for something, it's usually because I didn't give enough, right? You know? And that's the, back to the concept of, of the bank. So if you are listening to this episode right now and feel lost, you don't know what to do next, usually going removing your marketing hardcore salesman hat and put on the, I'm, be, I'm just being fucking helpful here, uh, hat will actually help you usually to move away from, from the don't know what to do next. Completely agree. Yeah, you, you probably heard this advice before too. It's not anything new. I, I have nothing original, by the way. Everything I've learned is through like reading and listening and like experimenting. But you have to ask that, answer that question for people. What's in it for, for them? Like so many times business people, marketers are so focused on what they need 
you got to come back to that Venn diagram. I guess that is my one original thing. Um, <laughs> come back to that intersection, like where you create that magic. Like there's got there there's one for every business. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't exist. Um, there's something that your audience needs and that your business can offer. And it's not just a product, right? There's some sort of knowledge or help or something that you can do there. And if there's not, like, you just need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how you can not be so selfish, I guess. <laughs> but that's what it is, right? It's marketing. So marketing, it's all about your market. It's not me, myself, and I, Ing, you know? And that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a big thing I see everywhere is, is we're just very self-centered very very self-centered yes. as a discipline as a as a as a profession what would be your number one tip to uncover like those particular pain points from customers to to leverage to to help them solve like what do you like to do to find them out well again listening talking to people i was fortunate early in my career that i was my target audience when i started marketing to email designers and email marketers at Litmus, I was marketing to myself at exact target, basically. So I had an inherent deep understanding of the challenges that those people faced. But if you aren't fortunate like that, surveys, conversations, you know, talking to customers, talking to the people that are using your product, if you have a new product, um, you know, finding people in the communities that you think where they're going to use them. Yeah, there's really no other way to do it. You got to talk to people. Before I ask you three questions I like to ask at the end of any podcast, what, what's the one thing I forgot to ask you about the four months in Wildbeat that you think listeners would get a lot of value from? Hmm. Something that you forgot to ask me about my first four months at Wildbit. Or you forgot, to, or you just forgot to say it. I might have asked you, but you forgot to say it. Oh, um, I don't know that anything really springs to mind. I mean, yeah, shut up and listen. You know, don't come in thinking that you have all the answers. I guess every business is different. Every team is different. So be confident. Recognize that you're there for a reason uh, and that your experience is there. But don't be too confident because you can learn from the team that's hired you in too and the older i get the more i realize i still have a lot to learn no, i appreciate you saying that and i think it's a it's a good humility message for everyone listening marketers tend to be very either self-absorbed and very sure of themselves or at least they make it seem to be i don't think many are very sure of themselves i, I have a deep belief that most people are feeling major imposter syndrome but because they are marketers they know very much how to market themselves and they make you believe that they have their shit together but don't trust it they usually don't and things change very quickly even though people don't uh, there's a lot of parameters that move so you need to be on your toes on the on this topic and you might have felt like you, you've already answered this question but what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next mm. 10 years 20 years 50 years Yes, they should learn about brand. And the, the older I get and the more experienced I get and the more I see a focus on 
you know, digital marketing, performance marketing, attribution, everything, Google Analytics, SEO, like the, the technical side, like measure everything. The part that I see people continually neglecting to learn about, especially younger people, is brand marketing. And I actually did slightly prepare for you to answer me this answer, ask me this question. And there's books that maybe like you've never heard of. Um, so Seth Godin, I think everyone knows him, and he's definitely a good person to go to about some of these topics. But there's some older books by a guy named Marty Newmeyer. He wrote um, The Brand Gap, Zag, and a book called Brand Flip. I think they're even a little bit hard to find these days, but um, they're out there. The other like couple of things. I would say that marketers need to do that probably don't, and it's going to serve you forever is to learn about the concept of design thinking. A lot of my, I think, unique perspective on this comes back to the fact that I have a bachelor of fine arts. Like I went to art school (laughs) and um, I learned the design thinking process and that and it, that has served me better as a marketer and business person in my career than I think anything else, if I had to point to one fundamental. And the other thing I would say is read psychology books. And I don't mean like textbooks, but there's a lot of really interesting ones, like Predictably Irrational or Freakonomics or even um, Drive by Daniel Pink. Um, all those books will help you better understand humans and like why we make decisions and what motivates us and how we operate. And overall, like that's going to make you a better marketer if you understand why humans are the way they are. And, and before I let you go, and thank you so much for being so transparent and honest with us uh, and practical as well, what, what is design thinking? So design thinking is um, a process or a framework. Uh, It starts, and I might get them wrong just from memory, but um, it starts with doing research. It starts with exploring a lot of options. Um, It involves iterating, testing, learning, and basically repeating. And it sounds super basic, but um, I'm surprised the number of people that just don't do this. And so if you follow that, again, it can apply to any situation. I don't even remember why it's called design thinking, but it's simply a cyclical process that involves, again, like learning, listening, research, testing and iteration, um, and then putting those learnings into practice so that you improve the next time around. It's like a double diamond, right? The first diamond is, so it's divergence first to understand, to research about the problem and then convergence to select the problem. Then once you have the problem, you do, you diverge on the problem, try to think of potential solutions and then you converge on specific solutions, right? Um, Exactly. Yeah, you can apply that to anything. I think in terms of design, it's the, 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 the design with a big D, which is like creating anything, anything Yeah, it doesn't involve graphics or imagery so before you you know i know people listening to this uh, whenever i say design they think i'm not a designer and i can't draw and i'm bad at graphics it has nothing to do with graphics it has everything to do with a framework for how to think about how to solve problems well justin once again thank you so much i wanted to ask you about your top three resources but you've actually managed to talk about resources in in the end of your past question. So I don't have any question left apart from where can people uh, hear from you, learn more from you, all of that. Sure. I am Meladori on Twitter, which is, uh, you'll have to ask me about that in a future interview. Meladori with two R's, like the Smashing Pumpkins song. 
Um, and then my personal website, which I don't always keep up to date, but you can find me there too, is uh, justinej.com. But of course, check out Wildbit too. We're doing some cool stuff over there. Once again, thank you so much. Thank you. This is fun. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.